0: Well, welcome once again to Graceway Baptist Church in our Sunday school hour. I said at the end of our last one, I'd see you uh, next week if the Lord was willing. And obviously he's willing because uh, we are here. Actually, the truth is we're recording these back to back because I need to get some of this done before Sammy and I take our trip to uh, Israel, which we're excited about. And we once again thank you very much for that opportunity. Now, uh, since we've talked about old people and we've talked about young people, or I guess vice versa, we talked about the young and uh, what they don't know and how we need to pray for them. And then we talked about old people and what their reality is and the difficulties of life. Trying to follow Solomon's admonition to remember your Creator in uh, the times of your youth. And that's kind of a relative term, isn't it? To somebody who is... uh, maybe uh, crippled or bedfast. that's in their 80s, and if you're 70 and you're getting around and you're still able to do everything you want to do, they may actually look at you and call you son or boy or lad or something like that. Dr. Criswell, pastor at First Baptist Dallas, uh, he was quite old and he'd been at his church for 50 years. And uh, he called people that were not that much younger than him, he would call them lad or boy or something like that. It's kind of funny sometimes. And um, it may be that youth is something that you hold on to younger than, uh, longer than other people do. And some people seem to use, lose their youth at an early age. Some of that is attitude, attitude. Some people just get old and stodgy and cynical, and they don't want to try anything new. They can't appreciate anything, and they're always looking back and always thinking nostalgically. And uh, so they're old when they're, when they're young. I had an uncle who was like that. I remember when I was a little kid, we would get to Arkansas and I'd ask him how he was doing, and he would say, oh, I'm getting old. And he was probably 28 at that time. And uh, he just always kind of seemed to be heading that direction. Don't let that happen to you. Uh, You can do some things mentally and physically and certainly spiritually to kind of keep your mind young and sharp and uh, to be optimistic and to be adventurous as much as you can. I I know you have limitations, but don't let that happen to you. That's a terrible thing to have happen. And uh, so Solomon would say... Remember the Creator in the days of your youth, however long that may be and whatever age that may be. Certainly the younger the better. It's better to remember God and to serve God when you're uh, 10, 12, 15, 20, you know, that type of thing, than it is just to go, well, I'll do that when I'm old and then get to be uh, to where you're advanced in age and you're sick and you're weak and that kind of thing. And then you don't really have that much time or energy to do the things that you really want to do do it now while you can even if that's at the age of 70 if you can still do it do it and that's i think uh, really what the point is and then also to be aware of other people and to try to help them and to pray for them and to be patient with them and to be kind to them because we're all going to face this kind of stuff as we can but in the meantime while we're doing this whatever age You may find yourself at Uh, the title of the lesson today is keep an eternal perspective you know um, i saw on a sign one time it says don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good and someone said to me uh, in our church years ago uh, i don't like it when you don't preach on practical things now, I think we all want the Word of God to have a practical use, and we want to put it to a practical experience in our life. We want to do that. And, uh, you know, and then that uh, made me think of that sign that said, don't be so heavenly-minded that you're no earthly good. And that suggests somehow that you can have your mind so focused on God and so focused on spiritual things that you're of no use to anybody else. And uh, maybe they were thinking about the parable of the Good Samaritan. You remember that? The guy's going to Jericho. He falls among thieves. He gets robbed and beat up and left for dead. And uh, here comes the, uh, the priest. And he's walking along and he sees this guy. And uh, boy, he's got things he's got to do at the temple. So he just walks to the other side of the street around this guy and goes on. And then later the Levite does the same thing. And then the Samaritan actually gets down and helps him. Maybe somebody who said that, maybe they were thinking, you don't want to be so caught up in what you're doing for God that you forget about all the people around you. And um, to an extent, I think that certainly can be valid. Uh, Jesus always paired two commandments together. Love God with everything you've got. Remember how he said that? That's the first and the greatest commandment. And the second, like it, is love your neighbor as you love yourself. He always did that. In the book of 1 John, it says that the mark of a Christian is to love God, but you can't say you love God if you don't love your brother. Notice how those two things are paired together. Even when we go back to the Old Testament law, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, Notice how the first few commandments relate to God and then honor your father and your mother and from there on, it relates to man. They're always paired together. So I'll give you that. But I would challenge the premise of it because that saying kind of makes it sound like if you're heavenly minded, you're automatically no earthly good. Is that correct? Would that be right? And uh, I would say no because it says in the book of Colossians, that we are to actually set our minds on things where? Above, not on earthly things. And it seems to be that we get into trouble that most of the time we are so worldly minded that we're no heavenly good to anybody, not even on this earth. But I think if we really are heavenly minded and we have our minds set on things above, I think the Spirit of God will direct us To be plenty of help to everybody around us because there really are a lot of practical things and practical wisdom to share with other people. And I think our problem is we lose our heavenly perspective, our eternal perspective, and we get caught up in the nasty now. And we think that what we're doing now is just gonna continue on forever, and it's not. We're gonna run out of time, we're gonna run out of runway. And uh, we're going to find ourselves coming up short and we just don't want to do that. We're still in Ecclesiastes 12, but we're going to look now down at verses 6 and 7. And the point that Solomon is making is that life can be wasted and you can live a whole life. Uh, I think about how in the Bible, on uh, various people in the Bible, it says they died old and full of years. You know, the sad thing is I've seen some people die old but empty of years because they didn't really invest their life in anything eternal, anything that mattered. And I had a pastor when I was up in Stillwater, and uh, he said this. He said, remember, there are only two things that are going to last forever That's on, that are on earth right now, and that is the word of God because the flower fades and the grass withers. But the word of the Lord shall endure forever. Okay, And secondly, the souls of every man, woman, boy, and girl that is alive or has ever lived, their soul is going to last forever, either in heaven or in hell. And his thing was, if you want your life to count, then you need to invest in the two things that last forever. Number one, in people. And number two, in the Word of God. Or number one, the Word of God. Number two, you invest in people. Even the things that we learn from the Scripture. When you come to church, I want to get something out of the church. Well, I I do too, and I hope you do. But it's really not about that. It's about the glory of God, first of all. And then secondly, it's giving us something, equipping us so that we know the Word of God better and we gain some wisdom that we can share with our children, that we can share with neighbors and friends and co-workers and others like that. It's never made to be kept to ourselves. And so if we don't have an eternal perspective, we're selfish and we're thinking about now and we're thinking about us and we don't think about how we can be a blessing to or help other people. And with our depravity, we have to fight that all the time. The first thing we learn through life is to be selfish. It doesn't take a little baby very long to get to that place where they realize that if they cry, and it doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter what happened. You may have just got a phone call that your best friend died. And if the baby's hungry, they cry and you've got to stop and feed them right now. And then as they get older, it tends to get a little bit worse. They look at a toy that another little kid has and they reach out for it. And the other kid pulls it away and says, mine. And then you've got tears. And you've got anger and you've got frustration like that. It's built within us to be self-centered and to think about ourselves. And what we are doing, basically, when we're raising our children, is teaching them not to be that way. That's why we teach them manners. There's somebody else at the table other than you. Don't chew with your mouth open. Don't reach across their plate to get your food. Why? That's being respectful of them. And basically, good manners... Uh, not just in eating, but in everything, is putting other people first and thinking of other people. You hold the door open for someone, uh, or you stand up when someone comes into the room. Those different things that uh, our society doesn't do that much anymore. Chivalry, they used to call it. All of that was being conscious of other people and putting them first. And uh, we have kind of forgotten all of that now because our natural tendency is, I'll do what I want, when I want to do it, the way I want to do it, and the consequences don't really matter. Uh, That's one of the reasons the abortion rate is so high, by the way. Uh, Because even sexually, that's the way people live, like animals. doesn't really matter about anybody else. It's whatever I want and when I want it and uh, the consequences You know, just don't care. We don't care about those kind of things. So we're trying to raise people even in our home, even in the flesh, even in a natural way, to think about other people. To have a sense of duty and a sense of honor. To have a sense of service for other people. Well, if that's true in that regard and if that makes it better to society... And what happens when somebody is born again and all of a sudden it's no longer about them but the first thing out of their mouth is that Jesus is Lord and so I'm living for him and I'm living for his glory and I'm living for his program and his purpose and his way. I surrender that to him. Now, what should that look like? That ought to look that way when I'm with other people. Philippians chapter 2, considering others as more important than yourselves, putting their needs first, right? And uh, we're supposed to do that, and yet that is a hard thing to do, and it's impossible to do it perfectly, but we ought to strive for that, right? And so uh, I think the more heavenly-minded you are, the more earthly good you're going to be, right? That's why the Bible tells us to do that. And so... um, The point that Solomon is making is that life can be wasted. If you get a chance, go online and watch Dr. John Piper, P-I-P-E-R. And uh, there was a sermon that he preached that was very famous. I think they call it the seashell sermon. And it's the basis for his book, Don't Waste Your Life. And he even talks to older people and retirement people don't waste your life. You've got some time now and you've still got some abilities. Use it for God's glory and don't come up empty. And so the remedy here is to have a relationship with God. And that's why he says, he reiterates, Solomon does, remember your creator. So let's go at chapter 12, verse 6. Remember your creator before the silver cord is loosed or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the well. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. So he's not really talking about cords or bowls or pitchers or uh, water wheels or anything like that, is he? Because it says it's going to return to dust and he even shows the spiritual dimension. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was and the spirit, well, the bowl and the pitcher and the cord and the wheel, they don't have a spirit. What's he talking about? He's using poetic, picturesque language to describe us. Have you ever been to, been to a funeral or watched one on TV? Uh, funerals on TV are always so very different than any that I've ever been to. They're always outside for one thing. They all have black umbrellas. It always seems to be raining, and um, you know, they throw, they lower the casket, they throw a dirt clot on it, and all of those kind of things that I'm glad we normally don't do. but um, There's usually somebody there, some kind of a priest or something, that'll recite the 23rd Psalm in a monotone voice. And then they'll say something like ashes to ashes, dust to dust, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, That's what I think of when I read this. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. And the Spirit will return to God who gave it? So obviously, we're talking about a living thing here, not inanimate objects. But the inanimate objects are picturesque of what living things do. And I don't think he's talking about dogs or cats or birds or anything. He's talking about people that are made in the uh, image of God. So uh, how do we keep an eternal perspective? Well, number one would be very, very simple and extremely obvious here by looking at the text. Okay, We always try to take these things out of the text we're reading, not impose them upon the text. I was teaching a Sunday school class one time, and I read the verse, pray without ceasing, and I asked the class, and they were mainly older people, probably uh 60 and up the majority and uh, I said what does the bible tell us we're to do crickets I said come on look at your bible what does the bible tell us we're supposed to do crickets and I said uh, nobody sees anything in that verse that we're supposed to do and I remember I'm not going to mention any names because it was here at Graceway And somebody raised their hand and said, Brother Greg, I think what we need to do is witness more. Yeah, man, I do too. But what does Paul say right there? And somebody else said, we need to give. And there were different things like that. And you could tell that people were looking at that going, he asked a question, what does Paul say? And it says, pray without ceasing, but it can't be that easy because the Bible is supposed to be hard and tough. Okay? And the answer was, Paul said, we are to pray. So, when Solomon says this, don't spiritualize, don't come up with some deep theological thing, just stay right here with the text. And uh, what are we supposed to do? He says in verse 6 Remember your Creator before the silver cord is loosed. So, uh, my first thing that I say is just very, very simple it's not earth shattering. It's not some deep, hidden theological meaning that you have to know some weird code or something like that for. He just says it straight out. To have an eternal perspective, we need to remember our Creator. That will do it every single time. You've got to have your eyes on the Lord, your focus upon the Lord. You've got to be conscious of God. You've got to be living for his glory, living in his strength, living in his power. And then you won't have any problem with an eternal purpose because he is so much bigger than anything that we have in our world today. I mean, he's bigger than Vladimir Putin. Bigger than Joseph R. Biden. He's bigger than um, Donald Trump since he's in the news right now. He's bigger than any celebrity. He's bigger than any scientist. He's bigger than anybody anywhere at any time. And he's the end from the beginning. He's timeless. A day with him is as a thousand years. And a thousand years is as a day. And uh, all of this, when we think about our God... We look at things through his eyes. And so when somebody comes up and they do something, maybe there's a criminal that commits a crime. Oh, I can't believe that kind of stuff is going on today. When we look at that through the eyes of God, we look at it and we go, I need to pray for him. His day is coming. The Lord is going to make everything just and set in place one day. That's terrifying, inflaming fire coming to take vengeance upon those who do not obey the gospel, 1 Thessalonians, uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 says. And uh, we think about all of that and we see it through God's eyes. It changes the way we look. This is just for a short time. This person will only have power or control or ability for a short time and then they're going to pass off of the scene. But God lives forever and their soul lives forever, right? So that's the first thing. Let's keep it very, very simple here. And then he says, another before. Before he said, remember the creator in the days of your youth, before the days come where you say, I have no desire in them. Well, here's another before. Before the silver cord is loosed. Kind of the picture of a silver cord hanging something. Something's hanging by it. And one day the cord just gives way and whatever it was holding, maybe a light fixture or something like that, falls to the ground and it uh, crashes before it's loose, before things fall apart, in other words. Because you are created for a purpose, and the Westminster Confession said that your purpose, the cheap end of man, is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Now, evolution and living for self... It's just an empty, empty pursuit. What's the point in evolution? Just to survive, not to die, and to reproduce and pass on your genes and that kind of thing. Empty. Very, 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 very empty and very, very selfish. And um, when you think about life being an empty pursuit, when all we do is try to uh, accumulate more stuff, And then when we die, we leave it all behind anyway to people who don't care. My brother and I were talking about some of my dad's stuff, and we got rid of most of it and put it in an estate sale. And some of it would have been nice to have, and sometimes I look and think about some things. I wish I had that. And then I have to ask the question, why? Because we talked about all of that, and he brought up a very good point. Why do we want this? Well, because it was dad's. Oh, because we love Dad so much, we're going to put it in a box and put it up in the attic and never look at it and let it deteriorate and it'll be there when we die and then our kids or grandkids will get it and they won't know what it is. They won't know what to do with it. They don't know who it belonged to. Is that the point of everything? Accumulate an attic full of junk so that you can say you have it or whatever it might be because the truth is how much when a rich man died, someone said, how much did he leave behind? And the answer is, all of it right that's what solomon's talking about there's going to come a point where the pursuit of all of these things is going to be like a falling light fixture where the cord breaks and it falls to the ground and shatters and uh, it's not going to be worth anything and there's a definite time frame for your life and for your death and don't waste your life live as one who is accountable to god remember your creator number two We're going to put it this way. Remember the Lord. Death comes suddenly. Okay, in many cases. In many cases, it's unexpected, unplanned for, you know, no life insurance. There's no thought of it. It just happens. There are people that while we're recording this, they got up just like every other day for decades and went to work, but they're not coming home today. There are people in the hospitals. I remember... Uh, back in the old days when Taylor was born and we were in Dallas, and I went to a bank of pay phones to call family members and tell them that Taylor had been born. And uh, the person right next to me, I could tell they were upset. They were calling to tell somebody that uh, uh, Grandpa had died, and they were very distraught. What a picture! Same hospital, same place, standing side by side. Celebration of life and grieving at death. It's a picture of what this world is today. And for most of them, they're not going to see it coming. Um, He says, or the golden bowl is broken. Who breaks a golden bowl? That usually happens unintentionally. It happens, nobody gets up in the morning and says, you know that golden bowl that grandma used to use to... You know, make whatever in. Yeah, I think I'll break that today. Nobody does that. But what happens is while you're mixing dough or something in it and it slips and then it falls to the floor and it breaks, you didn't expect it. That's the picture that Solomon has given us here. Or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher shattered at the fountain. Well, you take the pitcher to the fountain intending to carry water back. What happens? When the pitcher breaks, you can't carry the water. you got to come back and get something else if you can. And uh, so Solomon is saying there comes that point in life where very suddenly, unexpectedly, in most cases, this kind of stuff happens. Like the unexpected dropping and shattering of a drop bowl or a pitcher is kind of uh, what he's using to describe the end of life. And uh, there's no guarantee of a long life or even of an easy life. We don't get to write the script. Grief can be unexpected and it can be tragic. There could be a phone call that happens for us tonight. And you know, those phone calls that come like after 10 o'clock or so, they're a little bit scary for me because it means something has happened. Sometimes not, but that's what my first thought always is. Number three, keep an eternal perspective by remembering the Lord, as he said, because sometimes life ends predictably, okay? Now, we've seen with the pitcher and the bowl and the cord and that type of thing, sometimes things happen and we go, oh, no, a car wreck or something like that. Uh, God forbid, a murder or something. Uh, Things happen, accidents at work, Those kind of things happen. But some things don't. And probably for a lot of people, they won't. It'll be more like this. Life sometimes ends predictably. You can see it coming. So, oh, that's what I want. Yeah, but with that, there's more accountability because you knew it was coming. It's one thing to have your life suddenly taken from you and uh, you go, well, I didn't have a chance to plan for anything. No, of course not. The rug went out from under you, right? But What's it going to be like when you saw it coming? You're aging slowly and you're aging predictably and you know that your time is coming to an end and you don't make the most of it now for the Lord? That's just dumb. That's just dumb. Notice the image that he uses here. Or the wheel broken at the well. Sometimes things just wear out. The wheel at the well, I don't get the idea that it just shattered all of a sudden or a bolt of lightning hit it or anything like that. That it just, it was working one day and now all of a sudden it's not. Now, were there some signs? Yeah, probably. It probably started creaking, probably started squeaking and making some noise. And you notice that and you go, well, that's annoying. I'm going to have to do something about that, but you didn't. And then later on, it starts, you start moving it and wow, this is much harder to move than it used to be. You could see it coming. You knew it was happening. That's a metaphor for a lot of our lives. That one time, uh, Jack LaLanne, the fitness guru in the 1960s, he, made a st- he lived to be uh, very old, and he made a statement one time. He said, after the age of 40, if you say something ain't hurting, you're lying. That's what happens. We start wearing out. And it starts relatively young. Now, when I was a teenager, I thought 40 was really old. And I can remember hearing about somebody dying in their early 50s and thinking, well, at least they lived a long time. But the truth of the matter is, you start kind of breaking down sometime in middle age and you start seeing the sign. And so the, uh, the wheel um, at the well... It's starting to creak. It doesn't move as freely as it used to. And you take it for granted. You don't do anything about it. And you don't take that as a sign that anything in your life ought to change or that you might ought to hurry up and get some things done or focus more on the things of the Lord. Well, that's just just not a smart thing to do. Because things, even us, deteriorate and wear out over time. And you see it coming. And it is actually predictable, and water here is a symbol of life, and life is leaking out of everyone. We're we're, we're running out of time. And as the water wheel ages, then again, it's harder to operate, it's not as smooth, and it's not as efficient. Sometimes life happens like that. It's actually predictable, and we still don't do anything about it. We start seeing the signs of it and we still don't do anything about it. Boy, we need to stop and think. All of these things that go on in our life, even physically, are a reminder to us, you don't have that much more time to serve the Lord. Get with it, buddy. Okay. Look at number four. An eternal perspective is remembering the Lord. Everyone is headed towards death. Isn't that what he said? Everyone. What are the statistics? For every one person born, there's another person that, di- there's, that person dies. And uh, sometimes it seems to match up with I'm born, another person dies, and I die and another person will be born. But the truth of the matter is every person that is born dies. We all know that but we don't think about it. We put it as far off as we can and we sanitize all of it. And uh, I'm not opposed to that because I don't want to be faced with death and dying all day long, every day in every situation. And yet, truthfully, I am. And so are you. Every time we look in the mirror, the person you shave with, guys, is dying. And uh, ladies, you're putting uh, makeup on somebody who is dying. Isn't that the truth? You're feeding breakfast to people that are dying. You're educating people that are dying. This is just the way it is. And uh, if we don't remember that, we're going to waste our lives. And we don't want to do that. That's what Solomon's point is in this book. Everyone's headed toward death. Verse 7 says, Then the dust will return to the earth as it was. That's meaning the human body will decay. And the spirit will return to God who gave it. And, you know, what a day that will be. That'll be a great day looking forward to that part of it. the other stuff not so much, but um, death remember is an appointment that you cannot escape. I don't know when that appointment is for me and I sure don't know when it is for you. but the Bible says Hebrews 9:27And just as it is appointed to men for men to die once, no reincarnation once and after that comes judgment. And judgment is either with Christ or without Christ. And if your life is judged without Christ, that's not going to be pretty. That's going to be horrible and eternally horrible. But if it's judged with Christ, then you have his righteousness. And uh, that is a good thing. Christ took our judgment on the cross and he took our condemnation and he died for us. And because... uh, Uh, died for us and died because we are sinners. He didn't have to go to the cross for himself. He went on our behalf because we are the ones who sinned. He died as the innocent one for the guilty. Read Isaiah 53 and think about what all the Lord has done for you and how beautiful that is. And without Christ, you bear death and judgment alone. Revelation 20, uh, verse 11 Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it from his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. Where are you going to hide from the Lord? Not even the earth and sky could hide. And I saw the dead great and small, meaning big shots and little shots, standing before the throne and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. You know why you need to be eternally minded? Because you're an eternal being. Either eternity with God in heaven or eternity in hell with nothing to show for your life, nothing that glorified God, nothing that mattered, everything burned up. What a terrible way to go. Even as a Christian, do you want to go to heaven empty-handed? Do you want to go to heaven and have nothing to lay at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ? And that's why we've got to be thinking, we're all going to die. We're not going to live forever. We don't know when the rapture is going to take place. So make your plans accordingly and live for the glory of God so that your life will count and that your life matters, that it means something. Don't die and don't live for nothing be a terrible thing to have happen. And it can be different if you will just simply remember the Lord and do it in the ways that Solomon lined out for us. Okay. Thank you for your time. And thank you for uh, tuning in. And I pray that the Lord will bless you when we will look forward to uh, doing this again. So I hope you'll come back and uh, pray that the Lord blesses you as you do it.